Okay, Mecca is what it is. I mean, there's no point in being angry to the, to the degree that Mecca, we must accept that Mecca is always going to grow and it's always going to be under construction. Hey, this is Failed Architecture, a podcast on architecture in the real world. My name is Mark Minkion. I'm here with my co-hosts, Charlie Clemos hey. and Rene Boer. Hi. Uh, Rene, you took the lead for this episode, and I believe that we're going to Mecca, right? That's right, yeah. Why, um, why Mecca? Um, well, what's quite interesting about Mecca is that, well, as you might be well aware, it's the, the holy city in the religion of uh, Islam. Uh, that means also that all Muslims are supposed to visit Mecca once in their life if they if they have the ability to do so. So over the last centuries, like yeah, lots of people have been visiting Mecca, and um, at the moment this this number is still rising. Uh, also with air travel becoming easier over the last decades. Mm -hmm. So what happens that Mecca uh, is also growing quite rapidly as a, as a city, especially over the last decade. Uh, the city is uh, booming. We can uh, we can say and there's yeah a few things have been uh, written about that, but it would be interesting. Yeah, to talk a bit more about Mecca from this urban and architectural perspective. Absolutely, because I, I remember when we um, we were in Sharjah, one of the Emirates, a couple of years back for to do some research. Um, we went to the Sharjah Art Museum. There was work on display by uh, Ahmed Matar, who is an, an, uh, an artist uh, who you also talk about in the episode, I believe. And he's been documenting the, the, the change of Mecca. And I suddenly became aware, like, whoa, this is... There's a lot of development pressure in that city going yeah. on. There's all these uh, destruction, reconstruction processes yeah. uh, going in, infrastructural processes, etc. Yeah. Um, and this so has so many implications also in terms of like, uh, how do you preserve heritage or how are you going to deal with, with existing heritage in the city? And, or where do you leave all these like this, this massive influx of visitors uh, that come uh, every year? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that this, uh, in this episode. Um, we as non-Muslims, we are not allowed to go there. So we've used different ways to get a, a, a grasp of the place. Um, I mean, you can you can look at images on YouTube. You can follow people and, and look at their Insta stories, um, people who go to Mecca or who live there. Um, but like we've done in previous episodes, you can also use sound to convey a place uh, and to talk about architecture. Charlie, you've been very much... Uh, working on this in past episodes and how do you look at that in the, in the context of, uh, of Mecca? Yeah, um, I mean, audio allows this potential for us to kind of maybe uh, vicariously experience the, the space in a very minute way. Um, and I gather, Rene, you will be kind of in, in inserting sounds throughout the episode, yeah. taken from, from video, perhaps most, most often. But also that there's... Um, yeah, you were talking about the the um, there's an example of a recording from the 19th century that um, that, that that documents Mecca. Maybe you want to just introduce yeah. that, and we can. Yeah, that's quite an interesting story. So there was, there was this guy, um, and he was sent by the the government of the Dutch Indies. Uh, his name is um, Christian Snukogronje, and he was sent to Mecca actually to keep an eye on like pilgrims that were like traveling from the Dutch Indies to Mecca. Um, to see whether they, yeah, what their politics were and yeah, whether they were radicalizing or not. Um, so he was basically yeah, a spy um, employed by a, uh, a colonial government. He was also a, a scientist interested in uh, Islam and uh, Arabic language. And he also had this obsession with uh, gadgets. So he, uh, like already in the, in the late 19th century, he brought like a, a photo camera to, to Mecca, but also like audio recording equipment uh, using these wax cylinders. Uh, and he brought it to Mecca and he made like actually the, the very first audio recording ever made in, uh, in Mecca. And I think it's uh, a recitation from the Quran in uh, 1885. <laughs> Okay, 
So aside from being this kind of document of colonial inquiry, um, I think what's interesting about this audio is that it it really conveys the fact that this is um, that Mecca has been uh, a highly visited place throughout its history. That um, uh, due to the, having to be visited as part of uh, your commitment to being uh, a Muslim, uh, it, it it hosts so many different um, people from around the world, and you know as a result. Uh, necessarily becomes this extremely cosmopolitan environment. Yeah. But I think that gets discussed later on in the episode. So may maybe we should talk a, a bit a bit more about how that's going to play out. Yeah, because who, who did you talk to, Rene, to get some um, uh, insights into contemporary Mecca? Yeah, I talked to uh, two very interesting people. Uh, first of all, Amnes Solati, architect, urban researcher, uh, who until recently worked at a new institute in uh, Rotterdam. And we're going to talk to Hussam Dakak, also architectural designer and one of the founders of the of the Architectural Association's Visiting School to Mecca. Uh, so he has been working there professionally also for a couple of years. Oh, great. And what, what are the, um, let's say, what are the main themes that will be uh, touched upon this episode? Yeah, I think we will be mostly focusing on contemporary Mecca and its contemporary urban development and all the different implications it, this has on how the city uh, is growing, how people are experiencing it, um, but also the implications for uh, the heritage that is that is still there and how people are looking at that. Um, but also how Mecca is being represented to the outside world and what kind of representations of, of Mecca are circulating. First, let's hear from Amna Solati. I've been to Mecca twice, once when I was 13. Uh, and once for pilgrimage um, in summer of 2016. And I grew up in Dubai, uh, which is not that far away from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Actually, during my first visit as a child, we drove from United Arab Emirates to, uh, yeah, to Mecca. Do you remember arriving in Mecca? I don't actually. As a child, I don't remember arriving in Mecca, but I do rem remember my first, like, the first time I saw the Kaaba. And even as a child... I do remember it was an emotional experience. Can you describe that a little bit? How yeah, you know? it was, I don't know, the structure itself, because when you enter, uh, when you get to the site first, you have to go through the Grand Mosque. You enter the Grand Mosque, and then as you walk closer, you slowly start to see glimpses of the Kaaba, the, court, the central courtyard. And then suddenly, even though it is a humble square black structure, it still somehow holds a lot of, I don't know, greatness by itself yeah and with the like I do remember at the time it was only the sky behind the Kaaba in the background whereas in my latest visit yeah that was it's in the case. changed a little yeah. bit right many of our listeners will never have the opportunity to go to Mecca how, how do you experience I mean you already uh, described a little bit how it went as a kid but yeah. uh, can you also describe like as an adult person performing Hajj how does it feel arriving like how does it go like how do you arrive at the airport? How do you? What do you see first when you enter the city? Yeah. Well, uh, to begin with, as traveling as a pilgrim uh, is very different experience to traveling anywhere as a tourist or as like for business. Yeah. So already that experience alone is a very unique experience because pilgrimage is a set of rituals and practices with very uh, with the, these codes of conduct and uh, even dress code. Uh, that are most of them most of these rituals are very strongly related to either physical structures or sites within the city and hmm. even outside the city yeah so that makes it a very unique experience by itself let alone mecca how it is or yeah. what kind of developments happen because you don't experience it the way you experience any other city um, when I did travel to Mecca um, we actually we flew to Medina and then we took a bus from Medina at night to Mecca. There are a specific number of mosques outside Mecca where you have to start from that point. So you have to stop at that mosque, uh, do a few rituals such as pray, um, do the ablutions, start dressed in the, uh, the white uh, garment or the white cloth the men wear. And that's when officially it starts. Yeah. So you start from that point and then you drive inside Mecca. With the bus. Yeah, with the bus. And yeah. at that point, you're a pilgrim. You are under like kind of you have restrictions when it comes to, when it comes to how you behave, how you act, how you think, how you yeah. like perceive everything. You're not supposed to, for example, complain or 
and slowly you go from this unbuilt area to slowly you start to notice these build developments and um, especially for me like living in United Arab Emirates before and living in the Netherlands yeah. uh, very flat lands the first thing you notice how mountainous it is right it's in a valley and the terrain right? yeah the terrain of the city uh, and also you start to notice that some of the hills are flattened or like even cut vertically in half to like accommodate for towers yeah um, and you also notice how busy it is the streets are like packed with people and you start to as closer you get to the great mosque the busier it gets and you notice more people most people are other than the cars a lot of people on the streets yeah which is for like um compared to united arab emirates where i grew up it's not a common thing to see a lot of people on the streets yeah yeah and I mean, many of these people come from different countries, right? Yes, so this is what makes it even uh, more interesting. It's almost like a social experiment because it's one of the in most intense um, trips of your life physically and mentally. Yeah. As well as it's like a, it, you have to coexist with people from different backgrounds, people who have not left their country, let alone like their village uh, they haven't sorry they haven't left their village their country and this is their only like trip out of their uh, yeah. homeland to perform hajj because hajj is obligatory by every muslim that is capable physically and financially yeah so a lot of people even like save money through uh, their whole lives to be able to have this experience so once in a lifetime uh, exactly experience. exactly yeah. so you it's not like traveling elsewhere where you could bump into people that are traveling for business or your usual tourists or people who are curious yeah. you could see people that have no interest in traveling they've never traveled they don't want to travel but they've made a point of visiting mecca for to perform yeah. hajj if you're going uh, on a pilgrimage during the pilgrimage season hajj season you are only allowed by the government to travel as a group of uh, part of a like a tourist agency, a travel agency, yeah. um, a religious travel agency, let's say. So you're always part of a group and that agency rents out few floors or the whole building depends uh -huh. on the size of that agency. Yeah. Rents uh, rooms for their uh, for their for the travelers. Yeah. Um, so it depends on your budget. You could get a package that is more expensive and you stay right next to the great mosque. So less travel distance, yeah. or there's usually the less expensive, uh, package where you stay further, like 10 minutes by car. And then this, this agency makes sure that you perform the right uh, exactly. rituals yeah. during yeah, a yeah, week. Yeah, they, yeah. they make sure they have a person that is specialized that mentors yeah. you and, answers all your questions and helps you perform all the different uh, yeah. steps. Is that a As religious person also? Or usually, yeah. yes. Usually, yeah. yes. Yeah. They have the one religious expert yeah. that uh, makes sure that everyone does it the right way. Yeah. Because he kind of also feels responsible for all of these people. Yeah. And let's also hear what Hussam Dakak has to say, in particular about the visiting school he's running at the AA. Um, so the premise of AA Jeddah, um, it's essentially um, a research project into the holy city of Mecca, yeah. which was started by myself and my two other partners in 2015 out of a common interest um, in Mecca. Yeah. Um, I was born and raised in Jeddah, so it really was a city to which I connected both in terms of my history with the city and growing mm. up and always going to Mecca. Yeah. So the very idea of the school really started, um, well, mainly it started with the com like uh, misconception of what the city was. Because interestingly enough, when people often discuss Mecca, uh, people just consider the holy mosque. There's that colloquial reference only to the mosque. People don't necessarily anticipate that there might be a city beyond the Holy Mosque. Obviously there is, like Mecca is a very old city, yeah. which actually predates Islam. Yeah. So there really is like a very rich history to the city. And one of the ambitions of the school was to really understand the city beyond the context of only the mosque and to understand its urban makeup and all the complex uh, parameters and layers, which really make it really like this cocktail of religion, politics, and like a lot of social issues. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it is a very complicated city in many ways. Not to say the complexity is what drew us, but it's more really 
the willingness to understand and to uncover something, especially because it's such a prevalent city, like as in it's a very important city to all Muslims and to all practices of Islam. And I think even to people who cannot visit Mecca, it's one of the cities that has always uh, drew a lot of intrigue because yeah. the fact that you cannot visit it means you're very curious. Having said that, it also prompts it to be very misunderstood. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was ultimately the genesis really to understand the city and to do so, we really wanted to um, understand the factors that contribute to making the city. Yeah. Um, and in terms of how we went about it or what we set ourselves with the task, the task was to ultimately compile an archival manuscript of the city. Hmm. And Manuscript. Manuscript. Yeah. And when I say manuscript loosely, mainly because I think the format of what we want to ultimately accomplish is always in flux, as in it will take, I think, a series of formats. It's not to say that we will only publish a book or a journal or have an exhibition. I think it's a series of stuff that we're doing with our program, mm. which has honestly even grown beyond the scope of the visiting school as an entity itself. Yeah. Like what started as a workshop under the umbrella of the AA has grown into a year-long cultural event surrounding Mecca. Huh. So it's not necessarily only a workshop where people apply and attend a certain program, which right. it is, yeah. that remains the core yeah. exercise. Having said that, in parallel, we also have a lot of um, lectures and, uh, and discussions with architects, um, economists, politicians, anthropologists, as well as a lot of walks that we curated through the city. Yeah. And these walks are urban walks. They're like guided, tour like guided tours, I suppose, through Mecca. And they were not actually only open to our students. We opened them to the public where people could sign up. Yeah. And that's the premise of where it became more of a public program. Yeah. Like we're starting to engage with the community. So did, did, that, did that materialize? Did people t take interest? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was not to the extent that we wanted it to, but I think that was mainly uh, logistics and it was our first year doing it so publicly. But also, we were also very careful with how we're advertising it. We can't right. necessarily yeah. have these walks getting so big because you're walking in Mecca where security is really tight and you don't necessarily want to draw a lot of attention and this is something we've learned by practice we don't want to go into mecca with like 50 people or yeah. like, because you'll just draw unneeded attention which will hinder a lot of the research you want to do yeah. and will make it less enjoyable so no we restricted um attendance but more for our own benefit so right. but yes we had an insane like uh, an insanely beautiful walk curated by the Saudi artist Ahmed Matar. Yeah. And it was a beautiful walk in the sense that he, um, it was the very first walk that we've ever done in Mecca during the night. Wow. Because we've always had a very um, cautious approach to these walks because we have a lot of responsibility with our students. And not that we say that Mecca is dangerous, but when you have so many students and you're going into Mecca with SLR cameras, for example, in the yeah. middle of the night into these unplanned neighborhoods, which is where we went with Ahmed, yeah. where not many people have been. And the fact that you're going there at night, I mean, does in many ways raise alarm bells. Yeah. So for yourself or, or with the security? For, uh, I mean, for anyone. I mean, for my own personal self, yeah. no, it's amazing because yeah. like you, you manage to gather beautiful content, but from it's, I cannot only think as a researcher because like, I have yeah. like students who are my responsibility. So yes, security was an issue. Yeah. And also logistics, to be honest. The fact that you go into these unplanned neighborhoods where there are no street lights yeah. and you're literally walking on foot. So, yeah, like this year, it, um, having Ahmed on board in that sense provided the opportune time because Ahmed knows Mecca like the back of his hand. Yeah. And he knows all the right people. Right. So, I mean, it was also like, other than the walk itself being incredible, where he took us through the very same uh, alleyways that he walked through and to the very points where he took his monumental photographs. Yeah. That in itself is amazing, but what was even more amazing was his engagement with the local community, like how he talks to the local, to the local uh, but butcher. They know, they know him as well. I mean, a lot of them know who he is, but he has his, like, in, like he has his own network. It's just like informal like, network that he's established there, which is quite amazing because yeah. no, like, these are really, really are areas where even the government doesn't patrol. Yeah. Because they're in, on top of a mountain through really narrow roads where, I mean, yeah, it was, so that in itself was a phenomenal experience. And yeah. we got a lot of great reviews for that. And to me, it was the highlight of this year and one of the highlights of our workshop. So 
So that's why I think, I mean, that was one of the main reasons why this year was really good, but we also visited other sites, such as the Jabal Umar development, which is to date the largest construction project in Mecca. And yeah, just for my understanding, is that the, the Abraj al uh, No, Abraj al Bayt is, um, is fully completed, uh, okay, right, which is yeah. uh, Jabal Umar is just slightly behind it. Right, okay. So uh, Jabal Umar also looks onto the Holy Mosque. Yeah. The towers are not as tall right. yet. There is one tower that's to be built, but will not be as tall as Abraj al Bayt. But mm-hmm. what makes Umar, Shari Jabal Umar, the largest project to Mecca yeah. to date is it's a complex of 40 towers yeah. all together. Mm-hmm. And they're literally developing their own infrastructural uh, underground for all of this project. And it's huge oh, wow. in terms of its footprint yeah. and also to, to its proximity to the Holy Mosque. Yeah. And I mean, as a project, as with any project in Mecca, it's always contentious. Yeah. Um, but this was specifically contentious because they had to knock down a literal mountain Wow. which bared a lot of significance. Of course, yeah. Um, whether it's good or bad, I think... They're changing the landscape. I mean, yeah, yeah, they're changing the geography now. Yeah. So that's why this project is so big in scale yeah. and importance. So no, what we managed, we were lucky enough to actually go into the to the live construction side. Ah. So you were being shown around by... Yeah, we were shown around by yeah. the develop well, by people yeah. um, undertaking the development. And it was, I mean, it was incredible because... Obviously, it's not complete. It's still very much in raw construction stage. And to be on top of one of these towers and to just witness all these cranes and yeah. like this relentless construction in the backdrop of the Holy Mosque. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have the um, unplanned settlements. So even its location was like provided the most dramatic vantage point for photographs. Yeah. So that in itself resonated, I think, with me personally and I think with our participants. Yeah. Um, and then... I think another feature which we did last year and we went again this year mainly because these are beautiful sites. We visited um, Qasr al-Saqqaf, mm-hmm. the Saqqaf Palace, which was basically once the primary residence of the King of Saudi when he, King Abdul Aziz, the founder of Saudi. Yeah. That's where he resided in Mecca and it's a beautiful... Like a 19th century... Uh, yeah, palace? early 19th yeah. century palace, yeah. um, which was built by the Ottomans. Um, and now it's in a very derelict, abandoned state. Um, yeah. And it's not open to the public, unfortunately, because it's actually a very dangerous site. A lot of ceilings are collapsing, a lot of floors. So we were lucky enough um, two years in a row to get access to this beautiful palace and like document it, photograph it. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, these are the moments which I think make the workshop beautiful, yeah, mainly from a, an experiential point of view. Before we continue with the Amna, let's listen a bit to what Mecca actually sounds like. On YouTube, there are thousands of clips of people's visit to Mecca. In one of them, somebody films a crowd walking along a busy street towards the mosque during the call to prayer. that like you had this experience of being there as a, as a kid. Can you describe what changed uh, over time? I mean, beyond the mosque structure, you wouldn't see uh, yeah. skyscrapers and towers yeah. in the background, but this time it was packed with... What year was that? That is like... Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Sometime in the late 90s, I guess, right. or early... Not that long I'm ago. Not sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that w- it wasn't the time where it was just the Kaaba, nothing else around. Yeah. Definitely there were... There were towers and still there were buildings, but they weren't as close to the um, to the great mosque as yeah. it is now. Yeah. Yeah, and they weren't as tall and prominent as they are now. I I do remember like snippets, but not the experience yeah. as I do remember it two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't that like um, 
interfere with each other? I mean, your the, the spiritual reasons why you were there and your interests in architecture or like in urban it development? Did. Yeah. It did, definitely did. Like you do encounter a lot of um, situations where you where you have to think like critically and yeah. you are supposed to be more focused on just yourself and your spirituality and and practicing all the different rituals yeah so it definitely did kind of uh, interfere yeah but i mean we're only humans yeah yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah but yeah, that, yeah that must be hard yeah Hey, and to your knowledge, do you know what fuels these developments in Mecca? Like, I mean, you've seen it up close. Is it just um, the rising number of pilgrims? I do, yes, definitely uh, the rising number of uh, pilgrims, but I think also trying to accommodate for a certain type of pilgrims, the more wealthy. Yeah. Because these developments that are happening around the Great Mosque, they're the most expensive uh, uh, properties in the city, if not in Saudi. Yeah. So your average pilgrim wouldn't afford to stay in these hotels. Yeah, of course. That are Because most of these uh, buildings around are either hotels and with like shopping malls underneath in the like first few levels. Yeah. So it's about, I think it's about trying to maximize the financial gain from also these visitors. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Hey, but is it then like, uh, is there? Do, do you feel like there's a, a vision behind the development of Mecca, or is it just an yeah pretty ordinary property boom that's going on? I don't think it's an ordinary property boom because, unlike other cities, um, I think cities that have sites of like religious significance are always a hotspot, and always yeah. business around these sites are always booming. It's not just one period of time and I think I don't know thinking of examples such as like Mashhad in Iran or Najaf in Iraq yeah. where they have also uh, shrines regardless of the political situation safety uh, and so on these sites are always thriving and their business is always thriving there and yeah. developments are always happening yeah so this is what makes it also in, in a way unique because it's a it's, a site of religious uh, importance, not just yeah. a tourist attraction that people with time could get over and like move on to the next interesting city. To me, it feels that like the spirituality of Hajj and like making a lot of money on, on real estate development is kind of not in, not aligned to some to some extent. Is, isn't that like uh, conflicting to some definitely, extent? Definitely, definitely it is conflicting, but yeah. this will always be the case in, right. yeah, anywhere else in the world as well, I think. But it is yeah. definitely conflicting because one of the main core points of Hajj is by, for example, everyone having to dress the same way. Yeah. Uh, banning, for example, jewelry or any signs of extravagance or everyone yeah. has to look the same, yeah. act the same way is the core value of the uh, yeah. of Hajj but also by trying to like everyone is, this is a message that everyone is equal yeah. and the experience has to be done in an equal way. Everyone has to go through the same amount yeah. of um, effort to perform Hajj. But, but this is a very interesting point because um, these buildings that have been erected over the last few years are like one of the most extravagant. Yes, yes. so uh, definitely yeah. this, these, effect, uh, these developments do affect the experience. Yeah. Uh, it does not make it an equal experience anymore because there are some that are having their... Yeah. Um, I don't know, their Starbucks uh, drink right before their, yeah. uh, their tawaf at the uh, Great Mosque. And some have to like walk for, I don't know, an hour to get to the, yeah, yeah, exactly. under the sun to, yeah. yeah. Has this somehow changed your perception of Mecca or what it, what it means? Like uh, no, because uh, I mean, we always have to um, separate the symbolism of Hajj and and the holy site to what, yeah, how it is governed and how it is planned. So there's we know that there's a separation and it shouldn't affect how we see Mecca itself or how we see yeah. the holy site. But it will affect the, our experience. Yeah, and it will create more uh, divide between the different uh, between Muslims because yeah. Muslims visiting the city are supposed to have equal experience and. They end yeah. up not having equal experience, not only through the, uh, not only through the developments next to the Great Mosque, but also during 
a lot of other practices, for example, the transportation, for example, the also accommodation in Mina, because yeah. the closer you stay to the holy, uh, not, uh, there's a site in Mina where uh, you are supposed to visit while you're staying in that area. Yeah. And if you stay in a tent that is close to the site, so it's a 10 minute, it could be a 10 minutes walk under the sun. Yeah. Or it could be a two hours walk under the sun for certain people that stay very far from. That's too much. The, yeah. yeah. And these camps, the uh, tent camps are divided uh, according to countries. Yeah. So, oh, for wow. example, when we traveled, we were part of the group, the Muslims from Europe and yeah. I think America as well. Huh. So we were quite, the walk to the site that we needed to visit was two hours walk. Ah, they put, they yeah. put the, Euro the European Muslims Somehow, in the back? Yes, <laughs> we ended up at the back. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are, of course, yeah. no cars allowed. There are no transport, yeah. uh, there are no vehicles allowed to. I don't know about others, but in our case, definitely there weren't, we huh. were not allowed to use a car. We had to walk towards yeah. the uh, site. But and definitely this affects your experience because two hours of walking under the sun is, could be very different to it's very harsh. a 10 minutes yeah. walk or half an hour walk. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. And like these, but um, I mean, the architectural landscape of Mecca is changing very rapidly, right? Um, and that must also, like in this way, but also many in other ways, like in how they like design public space, really um, also design people's experiences they have in Mecca. Do, do you feel the same way? Like... Um, that how it has been changing over the last few years also changes the atmosphere, for example, or the character? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, one of the first things, one of the most important uh, steps during Hajj is visiting the Kaaba and uh, doing the Tawaf, which is uh, walking around the Kaaba for seven times and praying in that uh, area as well, in the outdoor courtyard or even indoor. But right now, if you visit there, um, the background of the Kaaba is filled with skyscrapers and the clock tower. Yeah. So it definitely changes how you experience the site itself. Yeah. Um, it almost like overshadows the Kaaba. Yeah. And like I found myself at some point like while meditating, like my gaze shifting from the Kaaba or the sky to the towers for yeah. like a part of the second and like, oh, this is just a, a hotel building. Yeah, 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 Go yeah. back to what you were doing. Very interesting. Yeah. Was, was that a professional deviation or is it just like too obvious anyway? Is that for, it's too yeah, obvious. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hard to it's hard to ignore. ignore. Yeah. It, no, it, was a, it wasn't a professional uh, ob uh, observation. It was yeah. just... Yeah, when, in your, when you're in a state of spirituality or... Um, um, yeah, when you're in a state of spirituality and you're meditating, you could like look at things in a very like positive way, yeah. and then you end up looking at the wrong thing in a positive way when you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. When I invite colleagues and friends to come on these walks to Mecca. They're so surprised that there's a city beyond the mosque. And yeah. I myself am always surprised every year. Like I'm, I was only able to explore all these different areas and all these different neighborhoods once we started this research project out of pure interest. But yeah. prior to that, one would never think of walking in Mecca through the city. Not because there's anything particularly wrong. It's just, it just never occurred to you because yeah. it's just a place for prayer. Yeah. So, so you've only started to visit like the wider urban environment of Mecca uh, as you started the, the, the visiting school then. Exactly. And yeah. that was for us like a big eye opener yeah. to the city and like what the city is and to its people as yeah. well. Like, like it's much more beautiful and it's much more rich than any of us could have ever imagined. Like it's such... I mean, it's such an interesting city. Yeah, yeah, like, fascinating. But I mean, so you've also seen a change over time. Yes. Like, what? Like, could you describe like the major developments? It's a city that has to cater for a growing number of pilgrims, and the number of pilgrims is increasing every single year. Yeah. So it's always been susceptible to change. This is nothing new. Yeah. But what's new and what's ha is the rate at which this change is happening and the degree at which it's happening. Right. Um, not to say that before it was so gradual. I think Mecca has always gone through abrupt moments of transition. But now you're seeing it at a time where it's very publicized and we're more in touch with what's happening. And the biggest development, I think, as 
many people might know is the Abraj al-Bayt, yeah, which course. is the one right at the f- uh, yeah. footsteps of the Haram. It was uh, done at the, uh, the days of the late King Abdullah. Um, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's the third tallest tower in the world right now. It's the most expensive tower in the world, costing $15 billion. Yeah. And it's one of those projects that makes you scratch your head for many reasons. Yeah. Um, its height, obviously, is a, is a point of contentious debate. How can you build something that's significantly higher than the Kaaba? And interestingly enough, in Islam, up to a certain point, and not even so long ago, like up to 70 years ago, it was believed. And there were prophecies attesting to the fact that you cannot build higher than the Kaaba. Huh. But obviously, with time, new prophecies have been... Yeah let's say, um, developed because yeah. of bribes or whatever or because of personal gain and interest, that all of a sudden you see this like sudden eruption of towers and it's really like a, like a race to the sky. Yeah. A race to the sky. So Abraj al-Bayt and it's contentious as I said for, her, for its height but also for what it stands for. It's a tower which caters to like 1% of the world population. Yeah. And it's incredibly expensive to own and it's incredibly expensive to stay in any of those hotels. Like when you're talking about hotel rooms that go for like $2,000 a night during the pilgrimage, it's like insane. Yeah. Are its lobbies open? Okay. I mean, could you so there's a, there's a shopping mall at its core, like at yeah. the base, at its podium. Yeah. Um, but it's purely retail, as in you have a Starbucks, you have an H&M, you have all of these like big brands that you see in any high street in, in Europe or the state. And this is an antithesis to what the whole premise of the city is. It's a, it's a city of like spirituality. Not to yeah. say that you can't have any commercial activity in Mecca. No, not at all. Because historically, Mecca was a commercial hub, especially during the pilgrimage. Yeah. People would come from different parts of the world and trade. But it's just that such commercial entities have really overpowered the mosque itself yeah. in scale and in dominance. And How you feel like that? But I mean, definitely. people still come for the mosque, right? People come for the mosque, but it's one of those things that your attention is automatically diverted to the tower when you arrive at Mecca. Yeah. Like so much so that even on prayer mats, like this tower, love it or hate it, has become an iconic symbol on the skyline of Mecca. Like you buy souvenirs of Mecca, now you have that tower there. Yeah. Every, like on prayer mats, you have the tower. It's That's like, incredible. it's been inscribed into the mythology of what Mecca is, has yeah. become. Like, yeah. not to say that it's a mythic structure. I, I don't mean to like um, praise this structure. It has become the Eiffel Tower of Mecca. It's become, I mean, yeah, in many ways, it's, it's a, yeah, like it's just it's just an interesting tower in many yeah. ways. Like because one really thinks like like what was the thinking? I mean, we know what the thinking was. It was pure capital gain, but it was more yeah. about its relationship. I think to the mosque that's purely yeah. problematic. But would people then go like to pray in the mosque and um, perform the rituals, and then when they get out, like pop into H yeah, and M? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's purely common, and there's nothing wrong with that. I suppose by going to McDonald's they say, to have a meal after it's more about what this tower has substitute like it really erased a lot yeah. to be developed and that's what really erased I, okay so things yeah. were demolished or like yes yeah like um, Ottoman rooms were demolished yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to the um, disappointment of Turkey yeah fair enough so a lot of historical monuments are always being demolished in an argument to say that this is for the for the purpose for the expansion of the Grand Mosque. Yeah. I don't see the tower as catering towards the expansion of the Grand Mosque. I mean, it caters towards a privileged niche. Yeah. But when we're talking about prayer, like what's interesting is those who can afford to stay in these towers, and it's not only Abraj al-Bayt, there are surrounding hotels as well. Mm. But if you're staying in Abraj al-Bayt, for example, and you're lucky enough to stay in one of those hotel rooms or own an apartment, is all of these rooms or, ro- or apartments have a surround sound system that's automatically linked to the prayer system in the mosque. Oh, wow. So you can pray with the procession in the mosque. Yeah. And, it's, and there were prophecies declared that it counts as if you're praying with the people in the mosque. Yeah. But then at 500 meters. And again, like 500,000 meters, whatever. Like yeah. you're, you're praying from a bird's eye view, yeah. looking down at like hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And during the Hajj, millions of people, I suppose. Yeah. But you're within the comfort of your own air-conditioned cocoon. Yeah. So that in itself has also revised the whole spiritual relationship to the mosque. Yeah. Is it like, like a few people making a lot of money on... Um, or, or, I mean, or is it like, is there a certain vision about it also? Or behind it? 
Um, there is a vision for the Grand Mosque. Yeah. I don't. The tower is not part of that vision. Mm. So, but like a larger urban vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So Mecca has been through many different urban versions. The problem with development in Mecca is there's so many uh, stakeholders in that master plan, or yeah. there are, let's say there are multiple visions for the city, but they might not all be in alignment to one another. So there's not necessarily one overarching yeah. master plan. But there is a master plan for the Grand Mosque itself. Yeah. And that is taken care of, obviously, by the government. This Abraj al-Bayt was commissioned by the government in many ways. It wasn't. It was. Yeah, I mean, was. Okay, something yeah. that big has to... Yeah. I mean, it's. it was the late King Abdullah. Yeah. Um, is it part of the longer-term vision? No. And that subject and that matter in itself is subject to debate now because there's also talk, not confirmed, that this tower is temporary and will be demolished within 30 years. Really? Yes. Um, it's been more or less verified by a lot of senior princes, but... Um, to be replaced by what? Uh, play, like oh, yeah. larger area for the mosque itself. Ah. Because um, if you look at the Grand Mosque plan at the moment, the very uh, courtyard of the, or let's say the very boundary of the mosque itself now extends one kilometer away from the Kaaba, from the center. And it's taking the, it's taking the shape of a radius. Yeah. So that whole one kilometer radius is going to extend around the Kaaba. In the coming 30 years. As a tentative yeah. timeline. Yeah. And that tower obviously stands in that way. So yeah. that tower is, has, has been designed to be built, but has also been designed to be demolished in the future. Incredible. I mean, considering how much they spent on the tower, $15 billion, yeah. yes. But I suppose the monetary return would have been calculated. Yeah. So um, I don't think anything, I mean, that's not true. I think a lot of things can be done hastily, but I would hate to imagine that something like this would be done hastily just because it's such a big waste. Yeah. So, so yeah, Braj al-Bayt remains the key project in Mecca. Then you have um, Jabal Umar, yeah. which we previously mentioned, and that was actually a private developer. Um, obviously, it needed government approval, as yeah. most any development in Mecca needs of government course. approval. Yeah. But um, that was a private development, and it's a con it's a conglomeration of many private, extremely high net worth individuals yeah. that formed the company, Jabal Umar company, and yeah, it's being, I mean, it's well underway. Yeah. Uh, and, and about the mosque yourself, you were saying they're like building a certain extension of the yes. mosque um, that is stretching into one kilometer that's going to go like... Yes, around. it's a concentric kilometer around yeah. the Kaaba. Yeah. So it's like they want to complete the circle. And that's to allow for like these millions, More pilgrims. millions of pilgrims. More prayer yeah. space. Yeah. So it's really an extension of the mosque. Ah, that's incredible. Because year on year, um, there are more pilgrims arriving. And what's interesting, um, if we chart the history of Mecca is... Up until three, four years ago, all of the development in Mecca that was happening was purely for the uh, was purely for the, in service of the Hajj, yeah. which is the annual pilgrimage that happens once a year. Yeah. Having said that, um, with Saudi looking to diversify its co economy away from oil, they're trying to make Mecca not a seasonal city but more an annual city. Yeah. So that whole seasonality within the city is being shifted from one time in the year to being year long. Yeah, it's quite similar to Venice. I mean, yeah. From high seas into old exactly. seas. Exactly. Yeah. So now they're trying to... I mean, the Hajj in itself is a prescribed moment in our calendar. So yeah. that's not something anyone can change. But it's more about attracting the number of pilgrims throughout the different times of the year as well. Because Islamic tourism in Saudi constitutes a big part of our GDP. Yeah. Like it's a very important element for, for the government. So that's something they're trying to invest in. And that's reflected into how they want to develop the city further. Yeah. So... So yeah, like really a lot of this stuff is not only, I mean, it's for the Hajj, but it's really to make Mecca, I mean, as you alluded to, like another Venice, I suppose, like this 20, like 365 day a year yeah. city. So yeah. to open it up to more people. Yeah. And while all these hotels are being built and like the mosque is being extended and Jabal Omar is being constructed, like how does this relate to the, for example, the unplanned settlements that are also part of uh, Mecca and how do... Like, does that interrelate? Is there, is there some kind of urban connection or how are these? So that's also a very, um, it's a matter of contentious debate because yeah. yes, a lot of these unplanned settlements are standing in the way of where this development is happening. So a lot of unplanned settlements have been already completely removed. Hmm. As the, part of these... Uh, yeah, yeah. These uh, its citizens uh, have been relocated, those who are legal residents. Yeah. And what's controversial about these um, unplanned settlements is that they are also home to a lot of 
illegal settlers. Right. People who have come for the pilgrimage but have not left. Foreigners? Foreigners, yes. Really? Like from all over? From all over the world. It's hard to pinpoint which... I mean, they literally come from all over the world. Ah, but they're illegal in the country. They're illegal in the country. And a lot of them reside in these informal settlements because the informal settlements, again, are in these really tight alleys. And again, it's not necessarily very easy for the police to access. So a lot of them would have resided there. So yes, a lot of these um, unplanned settlements, as they call them, or informal, are facing extinction. Yeah. Whether it's right or wrong, I mean... I think is a, a subject of debate. In many ways, they are very dangerous. Um, they lack an infrastructure. They lack a lot of stuff. Having said that, they also contribute a lot to the city in that the people servicing the Holy Mosque are the people actually living in these settlements. So that's what's ironic about all of this. Yeah. Um, but within the plan of uh, developing Mecca, there's also a plan to design uh, pilot cities or pilot um neighborhood, so to speak, to rehouse a lot of those people. So it's not like those people are just uh, told, like, they're not all being displaced yeah. and told to find, uh, like, land elsewhere. No, like, and the, if the government is good at one thing is that they do compensate as well. Yeah. Like, and this is not only for unplanned settlements. Like, a lot of private individuals, like, from very big families in Saudi Arabia, have owned very prominent pieces of land right adjacent to the Holy Mosque. A lot of those people were compensated to give up their land for yeah. in lieu for development. But but who is uh, taking the real financial gain here? Is that the state, or is there also like uh, specific private? No, there are private patrons who are definitely like gaining from this. Yeah, I think it's mixed. Right. Um, yeah. The state might be, let's say, the biggest benefactor, but they're also the biggest investor. Yeah. So. Um, you pay what you get for it. So. But do other people who see that as a problem, like the the mix of like, well, the holiness of of the of this urban area, on the one hand, and like other people like profiting from that. Is that, is that a problem according to Islam? Or I'm careful to say whether it's a problem yeah. to Islam or not because I'm not in a position to answer that. Right. Having said that, um, historically Mecca has always been a place of trade. Yeah. Like people have when they came for the pilgrimage. They always used to come, whether they came from India or whether they came from Africa or China, etc. They always used to come with products from wherever they came from and trade with these products. Mm. Like it was literally on the trade yeah. route. Um, I think what's problematic is more from an ethical standpoint and not necessarily, I mean, yeah, suppose religious to a certain degree is just that you have such radical developments so close to the mosque, which only cater to a very specific niche. Yeah. But it's not to say that trade in itself within Mecca is problematic, no. And I don't think having trade next to the Holy Mosque is unholy. What's unholy is the scale of what, uh, at which these developments is happening and the fashion in which, in which they're happening. But not f- to fundamentally say that, no, you should not have a commercial hotel, no. Or you should not have a, a food store, etc., etc. Yeah. I don't think it's a principle. I think it's how that principle in itself has manifested yeah. at such a gargantuan, gargantuan scale. It's such a capitalist scale. That's what's problematic. Yeah. And because it's become very exclusive. Right. Yeah. And Mecca is supposed to be inclusive and not exclusive. Online, there's a lot of uh, advertising for Mecca's real estate, actually. And let's listen to the, the sounds of one of these promotional videos. أتود أن تكون بهذا المقام من البيت Own your home at Zamzam Tower, the most exclusive real estate development in the world. Buy your property lease to a luxurious apartment in direct view of the Holy Mosque in Mecca. For a personal consultation, contact Alpha One Estates now. Since 1985, like um, 95% of all historic buildings in Mecca have been demolished. Um, and But at the same time, more pilgrims are arriving uh, more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, how, how do you, what do you, what are your thoughts about this, this tension there? Isn't it more important to accommodate like uh, people's experiences rather than preserving the historical heritage? Yeah, I think in the case of Mecca, it becomes more of a question, like, is it more important to accommodate the wealthy? Yeah. Because you could always accommodate the uh, accommodate the pilgrims without having to 
uh, demolish sites that are historically uh, significant. Yeah. Because this is what has been happening also. One of the main, I think, problematic things about Mecca that a lot of sites of uh, Islamic heritage have been demolished yeah. or built, uh, demolished to be, uh, to build over, like, to build over buildings or uh, some, like, um, mundane buildings. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I think, uh, quite a problem. And most of the, these sites are very close to the uh, Great Mosque. Yeah. So I do think they're, they're, they could still accommodate uh, the pilgrims by not having, it doesn't have to be, buildings don't have to be as close to the Great Mosque yeah. as they are now. Mecca doesn't have like a UNESCO registration, for, yeah. uh, for example, yeah, which yeah, I find yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's also because it's too booming, right? It's, it is, the tradition is too alive to put it into a museum. I don't think UNESCO, it's easy for UNESCO to just register Mecca anyway because of the way Mecca is governed. Yeah, yeah. So even if they wanted to, it's, I don't yeah. think it's possible uh, because uh, the government takes pride in that they run this site and they accommodate all these pilgrims and yeah. I don't think it's, uh, it's possible. And they don't want it also, maybe. Like yeah, because the then it will, it will be out of their control if yeah. they do uh, give it to UNESCO. Yeah. I don't think it's by preserving these sites of heritage or they become a museum. They're just sites of hmm. significant, important. They're very significant in its history that they need to be preserved even if they're not, if people are not able to see them. Yeah. I think that's the least that can be done there. Yeah. Because there are, for example, in Medina, there are uh the the house of the prophet a prophet is preserved but is not visible to the public ah really yes uh there it's covering like it's fenced within the mosque of the prophet itself yeah so this is the i mean even though this is not the preferred situation i mean it is still better yeah. than demolishing the site completely flattening it and building yeah. over it yeah but probably also like um the number of built pilgrims is too high to visit like such a small house probably right yeah yeah probably yeah. yes yeah um, uh, but yeah most of these sites that we're talking about are quite very small sites because at the time the way they were built and yeah. they were like sites to accommodate very few people there we're not talking about yeah. massive sites that take so much space and affect pilgrims that much yeah 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 yeah, interesting. And but do you um, do you feel like this number of of ninety five percent of heritage being have been demolished? Do you think that's correct? I wouldn't be surprised mm. to be okay. honest. I wouldn't be surprised because you don't see a lot in the region. There is no like this notion of restoration is not a thing at all. So yeah. building over and over, demolishing and building is a very common thing. So I do uh, I see how this is plausible. Yeah. Yeah, because I grew up in United Arab Emirates, and that's the case also. If a building gets old, they demolish it; they don't yeah. restore it. And they and the way they build, they also don't build long, for long term. They know mm. that this will be demolished in twenty years or so. The mentality of people from the region are they like their luxury and they like their mm. new buildings and they like yeah. everything to be like shiny and polished and yeah. that old buildings do not give that. Okay, Mecca is what it is. I mean, there's no point in being angry to the, to the degree that Mecca, we must accept that Mecca is always going to grow and it's always going to be under construction. Yeah. I think we just need to understand how to make sense of this development in a way that betters its growth. Yeah. Because that's what's missing, I think. And I, I genuinely don't think there is one body that fully understands how to manage the growth of Mecca. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such a mess. I mean, not to defend people or the government, but it is hard to understand such a city. Like, yeah. like how can you cater for so many people for a city that's changing all the time with so many different back... Like, it's a city like no other. Yeah. And I will say this. The government has done a very good job in managing the mosque. Right. Over for, time... For such an amount of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the operation in which they do to manage the mosque its maintenance its upkeep i mean yeah. whether we whether you're pro or against the development i think that is an objective fact yeah like it's an insane operation and the mosque is pristine yeah like i have never witnessed the mosque filthy yeah and it's and it's a testament to how invested they are unfortunately that degree of investment has not 
been mirrored in a lot of this, its developments yeah. because those were purely for capitalistic gain. Yeah. Which and ironically prob- probably pays for the pristine mosque in many yeah. ways. <laughs> yeah. But do you feel that your research can, could like feed into like yeah, future? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think yeah. that's why we're doing this in many ways. As, yeah. as much as this is pure interest and curiosity, we definitely want to allow our research to become an instructive manual. Yeah. Not to say that it's a manual to say this is how you're going to design for Mecca. No, this is a manual of how to understand Mecca or how to approach. It's yeah. more about an approach. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm also just curious about this. Uh, interested in, in this, like what what the the image of of Mecca is, like how it becomes, like how its image is also changing into like this Starbucks boomtown. Sure. Uh, from like a very like a much more modest. Uh, yeah, religious destination. I think it's religious image is not lost yeah i think it's still a religious city yeah and even probably more so than before mm-hmm. especially with social media with like yeah. it's being more on the internet and being more widely put, like broadcast yeah. on every other channel in many ways the image of islam or let's say worship is on a completely different scale than it was ever before yeah so i don't necessarily think it's no longer an islamic city yeah but it's interesting Maybe it's no longer a modest Islamic city, but it's more now it's becoming more a global Islamic city. Yeah. It's more cosmopolitan. Yeah. But that's not only restricted to Mecca. That's yeah, the fate of many other cities around the world. Yeah. Like it's just becoming slowly and slowly more global. Yeah. Um, but what makes it, but that's what makes again Mecca very difficult is because it is very it has to be very spiritual, but it also has to be very global if it's to also survive as a city. Final question: What do you think is next for Mecca? I actually am a bit like yeah, I'm a bit negative in this sense because I think it will go, it will get even worse. Yeah. Because um, because of the current situation in the country, they're trying to find other sources of uh, economy. Um, uh, because of like uh, what what is happening with oil there, and they're trying to boost other economies within the country. Like and, like uh, and Saudi Arabia, visiting. the religious yeah. tourism is the religious uh, yeah religious tourism is one of their highest uh, yeah. uh, sources of uh, economy. So I think definitely it's gonna get worse because this is where it's it looks like it's heading towards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. But I mean, but it's also exciting that more and more people have the opportunity to come, right? If you're like a poor Muslim from Western China, you you now have the opportunity to travel, right? I'm not sure it is the case because yeah. I'm not sure it is getting cheaper. Yeah. So, for example, I do know that in the United Arab Emirates, they have, uh, they have uh, Saudi Arabia has decreased the number of. No, number of visitors, the expats hmm. that can come from United Arab Emirates. Huh. So the travel agencies, instead of being able to, I don't know, for example, let's say a number like hundred per travel agency, they yeah. had to lower it to fifty, huh. and because of that, they had to ri- raise their prices substantially to, yeah, exactly hmm. to to make up for the uh, loss. So what happened? It got extremely expensive compared to like. 10, 15 years ago. Ah. So I know a lot of people that could have traveled 15 years ago, but now they can't travel anymore. Ah, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it could go up to, for example, I don't know, 15,000 euros. So so we're witnessing the gentrification of Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. Could we frame it like that? I I think so, yes, definitely. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. so I don't think it is. It's definitely every year it's becoming more expensive. Yeah. And uh, also, if you've been once, the second time you have to also pay more because this is your right. second time. Yeah. And this this globalization of, of Mecca, how will how will this impact uh, in the years to come? I mean, how is Mecca going to change? Um, so I think what we're going to see in the next couple of years. So we have Jabal Omar, um, yeah. as I said, uh, finishing. And then there's another project called Abraj Qudai, the Towers of Qudai. If I'm not mistaken, I think might be taller than the current Abraj al-Bayt. Mm. It's a mammoth hotel development, supposed to house 10,000 guest rooms. So you can imagine the scale. Yeah. 
Um, so you're going to see a lot of those developments. Coming. Close to the, to the Holy Mosque as well? Not as close, but oh. close enough. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see a lot of those developments coming into play, and you're going to continue seeing the Holy Mosque itself growing. Yeah. So I think you're not necessarily going to see a change in direction from what's happening. I think you're just going to see more development occurring. Yeah. Up until recently, no one could really voice their opinion, but maybe now that the country is starting to social, like culturally open up, open up yeah. maybe you're going to start seeing more resistance. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's going to be more interesting. But not resistance in the sense of like protest. No, I think more like grassroots initiative to like maybe revive certain elements of the city. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I was in Saudi recently, I was speaking to one of the big art patrons in, in uh, Saudi, mm-hmm. and they're considering to um, start populating the city with uh, street art. Wow. Like sculptures, sculpture parks, etc. So I think you're going to see st- starting to see a but lot religious of religious art, or not no, necessarily. No, okay. Not necessarily. Yeah. Again, it's not going to be anything provocative. Obviously, no. you have to be respectful of the context. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these grassroots pop-ups happening. Whether it's going to be more like a pop-up restaurant or like these like um, sculptures that I was talking about. Yeah, we're we're but, talking about the hipsterfication. Of yeah, Mecca, like yeah. maybe it's going to be like, the new, like there's going to be a shortage in Mecca. But I yeah. think with any develop, developing city, you're going to inevitably get this. And now with yeah. like the youth of Mecca, you're going to see this. And like bear in mind as a country, we're still a very young country in our population. Like 65% of the population is under the age of 30. Yeah. So I think these people are going to play a key role. Yeah in how the city and Mecca will start to define itself. Yeah. So, like, I'm quite excited to what Mecca can become. So, like, I'm ho- I remain hopeful. Yeah. Um, Do you see a role for yourself in, in this process? Be- yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I think we've been very active in this already by doing our research. I think yeah. our workshop has been in many ways, like, I mean, it's been very controversial at first because we were the only people doing it in yeah. many ways at the scale where we're doing it with a Western institution at least. Yeah. So I think we've, we've started it. And when, I'm not saying we started this way, but I think we've started ourselves by doing this research, by doing these cultural walks. Yeah. I think it's part of that movement of like grassroots cultural engagement and like looking into the city, looking into these abandoned buildings that no one ever thought to consider. Yeah. We're like, no, we're like trying to allow people to step back and reconsider their context and be like, no, like yeah. just because it's an old building or just because it's, not necessarily very pretty to look at, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to abandon it or disengage with it.